Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mine. Wouldn't that be a story worth telling? Wouldn't that be a story worth hearing? No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome. This show is being recorded for... Oh, fuck. <laughs> I gotta do math. It's Tuesday, February 27th, so I'm recording this for Friday... <sighs> February 31st. March 2nd. March. The show is being recorded for March 2nd. I guess I'm leaving that in. I don't know. Anyway, first, the business. The show is not kid safe, not work safe, not safe for calendars. Uh, show is Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial, attribution 4.0, unported, theme music by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. Bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind umbrella of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my day job. I don't have a day job. I don't want a day job. End of sentence. Before we do anything... Even before we play the song, I am going to take a moment and just acknowledge the sad passing of podcasting's own Joe Klein. Uh, I did not know Joe well, but I did know Joe, and I was privileged enough to uh, spend some time with him way back in like 2005 at the first uh, podcast and portable media expo. Uh, I think Butler and Jasper and Joe Klein and I had dinner. We hung out. We shot the shit. It was just... He was just a good guy. He was one of those guys who um, just, he had that aura around him. He wasn't self-conscious. He would be the one, you know, like the person at a wedding who goes on the dance floor and doesn't care if they look stupid. He's the one who didn't care if it was awkward. It's fine. And because he didn't care if it was awkward, it was never awkward. That was Joe Klein. So Joe died. Now, here's the other thing. I was told, um, you know, I know that he has had cancer and he's been struggling with various things. I don't know when, how, I don't know anything about it other than that Joe is gone, and uh, I'm lucky, I mean fortunate and lucky, that uh, I got to spend any time with him at all, ever. All right, with that, um, I knew I was going to have a down moment uh, to begin the show, so I went looking for something, uh, a lot of the songs in my uh, music suggestion, uh, Obsidian Note, are not uplifting. So I went looking for somebody who I just thought the vibe and the songs would just, I wanted up. And so I went to, um, I don't know them well. I know they're a Chicago Americana type band um, with, you know, not miles different from General Readers. They're an Atlanta, Indianapolis band, not Chicago, but not miles different from 11th Dream Day, also a Chicago band. I, there's something about a Chicago Americana bands that I uh, resonate with. This is Dolly Varden from their most recent album, which is called for a while. And this is the opening track on that album. It's called Del Mar 1976. And it just, 
It just, I like the way it feels. So here we go with that one. Slide down that pickleweed hill. La la la. La la la. I don't remember her name, but I remember her well. After school by the cinder block wall, in the canyon where the pine trees fell. The twins next door were trouble. La la la, la la la. One was a pyromaniac, and their mother reeked of alcohol, spying on them by the water tower with a girl whose name I cannot remember. The sad songs of the seventies. Playing soft from the radio at the bottom of our stairs. Mama crying up in her bed for hours and hours. Remember her name, 
That was Dolly Varden with Delmar 1976 from the album For a While. That seemed like kind of like the perfect tightrope to walk. It's melancholy, but uh, it picks up and it's happy. And then it gets melancholy again. And it's got some sad topics, but it's got some fun topics. And it's kind of like fucking life. (laughs) You know? Um, I am not going to bog this show down. I bogged the patron exclusive down with uh, some of the life stuff. It's been heavy, man. It's, I don't know. We're just trying to, some days you just try to get through. Some days, getting out of bed, getting your pants on, getting your child to school, it's time to throw yourself a parade. It's time to declare victory. I got the dentist. I got the dentist paid today. You know what? <laughs> you know, I I got the dinner for tonight purchased. Food lines right next to the dentist. <laughs> okay, pop the uh, party poppers. It's one of those days. Earlier today. So, when I retired, I don't know if my any of my old coworkers listen to the show. Especially, I don't know if any in management <laughs> listen to the show. I suspect not. I kind of, at this point, hope not. It was a thing. Um, when I retired, uh, there was a big to-do about sending my laptop back, which I absolutely, totally did fine. I did not. I was not asked to, and I did not send back any of the peripherals. <laughs> And I got some peripherals when I started working there, including this monitor that I quite like <laughs> that I did not want to send back. And it's, God, what is it? It's a 32-inch external monitor. I don't even, honestly, I have to look at it because I don't even remember the freaking brand of it. Is it a Dell monitor? It might be. Slightly curved. It's not one of those like super curved ones, but it's, it's a nice monitor. I like it. I was quite used to it. It was already sitting on my desk. And honestly, for the moment I put my notice in until... Um, the last day, I thought, don't ask for the monitor. I mean, I I still have the box. I could ship it back to someone, but I don't want to. I wanted to leave it right where it is and just plug different stuff into it, which is kind of what I did. So it's a 32-inch monitor. I don't even know what the hell the resolution is on this thing. But I can tell you that the system font on this machine, at the high resolution that it is, and I am standing at my standing desk right in front of the microphone i can just barely not if i reach my arm out i can just barely not touch it with my fingers if i don't lean forward so that's how far i am away half a wingspan basically i can't really read the default font very well i've opened up the system preferences in uh the mac that i'm using like again this is the cheap old mac mini it's like 10 years old at this point Paid 75 bucks for it. Some of the best money I've ever spent in my entire computing life. 75 bucks for that Mac Mini. I don't know how you make the system font bigger. I don't know if you can make the system font bigger. What I'd like to do is leave the resolution where it is and make the system font bigger. I'm not sure if that's even possible. Now, what you here's what you don't need to do. Do not feel you, the listener, you, the patron, you, the listener, you, the anybody out in the world, don't feel like you need to tell me how to solve this. I got Bing. <laughs> I can do it. I have not yet sat down and had a serious Bing session on how one does this. If 
one does this, if one can do this, if one so desired to do this. I don't know, but I can do that. Don't you help is, you know, it's always nice when people want to be helpful, but don't worry about this one. I got, I got this. One of the whole reasons why you use a Mac is because things are relatively intuitive. But honestly, sometimes when you go to, when you want to configure a thing about your Mac, it's the opposite of intuitive. It is a thing is buried uh, so far out in the desert, no one will ever find it. <laughs> and it's so buried, it kind of sort of feels intentional. It feels like one of those things they don't really want to let you change. Now, I'm sure I will find some, you know, life hack or arts technique or something. I'll, you know, or any of those things. But uh, it was <laughs> at some point I was like, I just, I can just barely read or just barely not read things like the titles of, uh, you know, tabs in Windows, or even like the time and date in the menu bar, or the names of things in the menu bar. If it was like one tick up, it would be perfect. But and I was like, how do I make it go one tick up? System preference. I don't know where the one tick up option is. I don't exactly know what you call it, which makes it kind of hard to search for. And it's not an accessibility, and it's not. An, uh, and it's like it has been a while. Now it's not never. It's been a while that I tried to do a Mac thing, and I just felt like. Like a dumbass, like like it's my first day. Like I just arrived here in computer world, and uh, like what the what the hell? This is this is like how Windows users feel every day, and it's just it was a rare thing for me. I just a bummer. Now I'll find it out. So I'm caught up on the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. For, I know lots and lots of people. YouTube is just a thing. YouTube is, you pop it open, you look. YouTube is what turning the channel to, your TV to channel three used to be when I was a kid. You turn it to channel three and you watch what's on. Or it's channel seven or channel 12 and you watch what's on. And YouTube, it's a little more, uh, you know, controllable, but not way more. Like you pop it up and it suggests the thing and you watch it and then you watch the next thing it suggests and the next thing. And I practically never did that. If I watched a thing on YouTube, I watched the specific thing I cared about. Um, I mostly ignored most recommendations. I pick a channel of a thing I care about, and I watch things that come down that, and I don't. By and large, you know, the, uh, you know, how to, you know, you watch one fish cleaning video, and then you're, next thing you know, you've got a hundred suggestions on fishing type things. So it's like, guys, I, YouTube, I don't, I don't need your help to that level. YouTube. But at one point, I got one of these Adam Savage videos from the Tested channel um, suggested. I watched it, and I thought it was okay. So uh, I subscribed to Adam Savage's uh, channel. I'll be honest. like I don't watch a lot of his stuff. Like I don't watch him build a lot of things. Mostly I watch him talk. Like the things where he sits down and does a live stream and just answers questions and talks to the camera. And he answers Mythbusters questions and Star Wars questions. And he had the one that I watched today was really interesting because somebody was talking about how do you start a YouTube channel. And he kind of talked... What he talked was more generally, like not the specifics of like, let's say you want to be a YouTuber. I'm sure, I'm sure there is so much written, but not even written. I'm sure there are videos after videos that tell you how to make videos that will be popular videos about the videos. <sighs> and, you know, I could care less about the douchebaggery. And he didn't really talk about the douchebaggery. He actually was like more in my end of things where he talked about the art of it. It's like, step one, do a thing you're proud of. <laughs> 
which is so often in these, I'd love to have a successful podcast. Uh, you know, it's a lot like the people, and I haven't met these people. I took a small business class at Emory, you know, 30 years ago. And there were a number of people who said, I want to run a business. Okay, what should that business do? I don't know. Be successful. It's like, okay, what do you care about? Oh, and they, there was nothing that they, it's like, uh, cell phones, pogs, you know, whatever, you know, there's always, always a, um, kind of store that will fill in, in empty spots in shitty strip malls. And in 1992, those were pog stores. And in 2002, those were cell phone and cell phone accessory stores. And in 2012, I don't know what they were, but today those are vape stores. <laughs> there will always be a kind of store that just fills into uh, that that kind of spot, like a small shitty strip mall, you know, possibly in a dying, uh, you know, dying retail area. Now, if it's bigger, and at least in my area, if it's bigger, there's one of two fates that happens to any retail or restaurant space. It will become either a hibachi place or a Dollar General. <laughs> So it's basically those are like the uh, you know those are the the, the Walking Dead forms of the uh, of retail, <laughs> retail and hospitality is you will either become a Dollar General or Hibachi Place. <laughs> That's one of the two things. When you die, you will come back to life as one of those. But anyway, Adam, I, I've, I've digressed very far from Adam Savage. But what he's really talking about is uh, you know like how do you. How do you figure out the thing that you want? And what he talked about is like, he said, you should have a point of view. And he was talking about a, one of the YouTube channels that inspired him. And he asked that guy, he's like, how did you figure out what you were going to talk about? And he said, I watched a bunch of YouTube and I sat down with a piece of paper and I made a list of the things that I liked and the things I didn't like. And I said, I'm going to do a channel where I do all the stuff I like and none of the things I don't like, <laughs> which sounds shockingly simple as a heuristic for how to proceed with one's uh, creative life. Do the things you like and don't do the things you don't like. Sounds so stupid as to be not actionable, but I think actually there's a brilliance to that simplicity. But then Adam was talking about how that's basically your point. When you do that, what you're arriving at is your point of view. I, I use this analogy, forgive me, long-time listeners. I've used this analogy many times. But in the when I was at WREK, uh, I, I don't remember if it was all the same outfit, and I don't remember if it, was an, if it was like an arts collective or an individual, but there was kind of a fad of um, the recording, playing a music on a boombox in a space and recording it on another boombox and doing that back and forth a lot. And what you get, you know, it doesn't matter what you start with. They all kind of end up the same. They sound kind of like whale songs. And sometimes you'll hear like the faint ghost of the beat of whatever, if if you had a thing with a beat that began in there. Um, but what you really hear is you hear the resonant frequencies of whatever space you're in. And it will be different from room to room, which was kind of the whole point of the art is that you could do take the same starting song and do this in five spaces and get five completely different sounding things because you're what's left is like what's resonating in that room. You know, some frequencies are going to carry better than others in that particular space. And some will be dampened, you know, an empty room is going to be echoey and sound different. And, you know, uh, a room with a lot of, 
you know, tapestries and carpet and what have you will be very different. And rooms with sharp edges, sharp edges at different weird angles will sound different than a big, flat, boxy, you know, cube. And I've always, I always think about that is the, the stuff, the stuff that is your point of view is the stuff you care about. It's the stuff you amplify. You know, if you listen to, I don't suggest this. In fact, I anti-suggest this, but if you sat down and you took these, whatever, 600 and however many episodes of this thing, put them end to end, they would, by the way, go around the moon, around the earth twice if you played every episode of this podcast end to end. <laughs> In some, there is some medium where you could lay it end to end and they would wrap around the earth twice. But if you put them all and you just listen to them, and God knows that would take, you know, let's say... 400 hours. So we're talking about, you know, two weeks worth of listening. At the end, you would really, really get a good feel for what I care about, what I want to talk about, what, you know, as my new uh, thing says, that's a story worth hearing. That's a story worth telling in the new slightly tweaked montage, right? Those are the, the, the and you'll hear, by the way, you'll hear, there's a couple uh, greatest hit stories. You'll hear dozen, dozens of times. That will just happen if one were to do this exercise, which let me repeat one more time. Don't do. I'm begging you. Do not do this exercise. <laughs> but, you know, point of view, if there's one thing, if you go through the history of podcasting and I have, <laughs> I think I have been extremely transparent about how I've done literally everything wrong. When you sit down with all that douchebaggery I was referring to earlier and you sit down with, you know, podcast guru dot you know, makemoneyfast.com. And you say, how do you make a best-selling, how do you make a best-selling uh, award-winning podcast? Well, step one, make it about true crime. <laughs> you know, st- you know, like there will be all these douchebaggy things, cross post with lots of other people and, you know, uh, whatever, whatever stuff. And I have done zero of those things. And in many cases, I do the exact opposite of the thing. And I'm, you know, I'm always been okay with that. I am today okay with it. I will always be okay with that. I, I <laughs> but the one thing that I have done, I've done all that shit wrong. By the metric of anybody who's looking for downloads or you know revenue or all the douchebaggery, uh, you know, all the KPIs of douchebaggery, <laughs> which I do believe <laughs> that that feels like a title. At least that feels like a title candidate. <laughs> the KPIs of douchebaggery. <laughs> so, sorry, I made myself laugh. I I need I I'm okay with a laugh. I need a laugh today. But the thing that I did is I have told the shit that I wanted to tell. And I do feel like if there is one thing I have done extremely well over the last almost 20 years, there is a point of view. You can tell my point of view. You may hate it. I have absolutely gotten angry things. <laughs> my point of view uh, if, if my goal was to make this a show that literally no one else but me could make, job well done. Success, plant the flag, declare victory, and go home, right? That's no one but me could do this fucking show. As a corollary of that, no one but me would want to do this fucking show. And also, no one but me should do this fucking show. All these, all, every one of these things, these are simultaneous equations that when you solve them, uh, end up right where we are. All right. And and so I'm just so good with that. But I really I will have a link in the show notes to this particular video of Adam Savage. I really like the stuff he had to say. And it kind of emphasizes where I've always been at, which is, you know, we're getting to Academy Award um, season. 
It is the most tedious thing in the world. I don't have to go back through my rants about how all the award winners that not only did I not think should be the award winner, but I didn't even think were objectively good movies. Uh, Million Dollar Baby and Crash being uh, the head of that. I thought they were objectively bad movies that won Best Picture. I'm like, what the, what's going on here? But if you're doing any art that's swinging for any fence, are you going to win an award for that? I mean, how, how how are you going to make something that makes that many people happy enough to vote for you at award if you're really going for it? It it seems unlikely, and it seems like such an individual. Like awards to me are are they're just they're just a stochastic representation of the taste of the majority of the voters, which you know because it takes a while to get into the uh, academy or kind of old. And kind of been around a long time. And so that's what you get. You kind of get old people movies is kind of what tends to win those awards. And uh, I don't, and the podcast awards, all podcast awards um, on the, uh, the Lou Barlow, Lou at Adele Barlow, the, why am I blanking on the show name? Raw Impressions. They are nominated for the Pammy Award, which was interesting to me because A, there's a Pammy Award. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is a Pammy Award? <laughs> and then the other question is, how many podcast awards are there? And then the question is, of the people who have won them, how many have I ever heard of? And of the people who have won those, of the shows that have won those, if I listened to them, how many would I ever finish the episode or listen to another episode? Right? It's so individual. I listened, you know, I'm starting to listen to an Australian rules football podcast for fuck's sake. I don't expect that to be, uh, you know, a worldwide um, barn burner for a lot of people. Right? You got to you got to have committed to the thing to be into the thing. Like, how do you make an award for that? You know, I just I've been listening to older and wider with uh, Jenny Eclair and uh, her friend who I can't remember <laughs> whose name it is. The producer lady who uh, whose name I can't remember. Um, you know, I like listening to the two of them chat. Also, it's extremely difficult to tell their voices apart. So a lot of times I don't know who's telling the story. I just sort of get washed away in the uh, the torrent of uh, silly British stuff. Uh, you know, I, and I don't expect necessarily a lot of people to like it. They absolutely know they're skewing to middle age and late middle age listeners and they play it up. When you write them, they ask you to give them their age. I gave them my age and they wanted the months too. So I sent them, you know, whatever, 56 and four months. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and it's fun, but I don't expect that to be popular. I don't expect that to win an award. It's like, who, who, cares? like, uh, I'm not calling for the abolition of these awards, but can we just please understand there is no way. I mean, this was my podcast Hall of Fame speech, right? Make your show something that is one person's favorite show in the world. That's the goal. If you achieve that, you won the goddamn game. The end. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, all the other stuff. I mean, it would if you if you're goal is to make your living podcasting. You're going to have to make some sacrifices in the art. That's the way it goes, probably. Unless you are the uh, unicorn that the thing you are most passionate about is the thing the wide public most wants to hear. Uh, it's not impossible. It's unlikely. It's, it is wildly unlikely. Again, not impossible. Failing that, 
just do the thing you want to do. I just, I hate all awards for creative anything. Because how do you, like, how do you stack these things up? The, uh, how do you say one song is more deserving of an award than another song? How do you say one story? How do you say one book is more deserving of a than another book? It's ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. It is uh, entirely a uh, a marketing uh, thing. When I was listening to the MMT podcast the other day, um, they were talking about I think Stephen Hale was talking about marketing, and he actually he was talking about you know satisficing and um, like maximizing utility and kind of some of the stuff that basically saying how classical economics, even though everyone is kind of forced to learn it, it doesn't actually uh, work. <laughs> Like none of the things of class, everyone in classical economics learns it as part of their coursework and then has to unlearn it when they approach the real world because it doesn't actually match the real world. And one of the things he was talking about is um, it rang true is that basically marketing um, in large part, there's really two, there's two kinds of marketing, which is telling you something you wished you knew. You know, ideally, when I run something on here, that's of that that ilk, right? Uh, boy, I wish I had this. Sometimes I need a meal fast. I, that would be make me happy. Okay. Other, but a lot of marketing, especially like the aspirational, like car marketing's like this, uh, like the shit you see on Super Bowl ads is like this. It's the making you dissatisfied with what you have, <laughs> so that you now need something that you didn't previously need. You know, that's a lot of your lifestyle type marketing. The, uh, you know, any sort of erectile dysfunction drug that involves two two adjoining bathtubs on the beach. <laughs> Did, I mean, maybe, maybe you have ED and that's what you were looking for, but probably they're trying to create a, uh, a deficiency in, in your feelings that you think maybe you can help by throwing some... Uh, prescription medicine in there or i don't know maybe you know what would be hilarious if those ads were from bathtub companies <laughs> you do it and it's mowing for you for your beachside sunset bathtub needs <laughs> but i had never really thought about marketing that way as you know when you look at it that way it's truly pretty evil right you only have you only have two classes you know the trying to make you unhappy and telling you something you already want. And the other thing is uh, just information. You know, it's what you find when you go looking for a review for something is just information. And uh, whew, yikes. Whew, yikes, if you know what I mean. I'm going to pause right there and whip my whistle with a nice, oh, I hope it's warm. I may have started the ember mug too late. Let's see. You and me together. We're about to experience this. I suppose if I understood the uh, LED readout, I would know. Mm. Oh, that's deliciously hot. That's almost tongue-burningly hot. That must be perfect. The things that occurs to me, uh, and I sort of touched on this when I talked about my cheap-ass um, Mac Mini. I don't know if if this is a moves me as much as it used to, but there is. It always feels to me like there's a transformative power of cheapness. Like when something gets cheap enough, then uh, it kind of, it, like 
goes down a different quantum level. <laughs> you know, like a $75 desktop computer, uh, you will take chances with it that you m- might not, right? One of the things I could do, I have a spare, although it's not as low power consumption and not as small uh, a, a form factor, if I needed to replace the things my Raspberry Pi is doing, I could totally do that. Easy. I mean, it's got way, it's way more computer than my Raspberry Pi. Um, a little bigger, a little, uh, you know, a little more wattage, but it would totally do it. And it's cheaper than a Raspberry Pi, my 10-year-old Mac Minis. And I was thinking back, um, kind of the the way I've walked up, kind of walked up the hierarchy of need in the IoT stuff. Because the very first, I never got into the uh, X10 home automation. Some people did that. Did I ever do the thing? I don't know if this is also X10. There were like... Were there more than one thing you could, where you could plug in a controller in one outlet and something else across the house and you know, re- like remotely turn off lights and things like that? It's, it seems like maybe there were a couple protocols. I think that's what X10 was. I don't really know for sure. But really, the only the first true like IoT device as we um, know it would have been that Sonoff smart switch that at the time. I don't even remember if I was buying it. I certainly did not buy it from Amazon. I don't know if I bought it from Sonoff itself or it feels like maybe it was like if not AliExpress or something like that, but it seemed like possibly it was a Chinese retailer that I bought it from. And if I recall, it was $5 at the time. And this would have been, my kid was little. This is probably, you know, 10-ish years ago because one of the, that I used it for was to turn the light on and off in my kid's room. In retrospect, it might have been a little bit ill-advised because this was also the one when you got the switch. It did not come with any kind of plug, which I guess probably made sense because it was not localized anywhere in the world. You, It would take you know, 120, it would take 240. But what you had to do was put your own, um, uh, your own stuff on it. <laughs> so what I did was I took an old extension cord and cut it and then put the terminals, you know, the, the power input side, put the terminals on there and then put... You know, and so basically, it turned my extension cord into a, a smart plug. What would now be an easily available off-the-shelf smart plug that used Wi-Fi and did all the stuff at the time. Uh, you know, I had to go into the Sonoff app. The I believe was Ewe Link or almost. I don't know if it's much different now, but at the time, like the Chinese, if you bought a Chinese IoT thing, you would it would say one thing on the box. It would say a different thing on the device, and then you would. Scan the QR code and you would get a different named app. <laughs> and none of these things ever lined up. I'm like, what is this panoply of chaos <laughs> that I'm dealing with here? <laughs> so the Ewe Link app is what controls Sonoff devices. I was like, ugh. And then you bought them from ITed. So there's even a different thing. You oh, I bought I bought it from the ITed store. <laughs> but it was a Sonoff device. <laughs> like, what is this weird uh <laughs> what is this weird conglomeration? Of these weird, are these all holding companies? Is this Utter Duncan of holding Chinese holding companies? What's going on here? But that thing worked. It never caught on fire. In fact, I still have the thing in my box of you know semi-discarded and warm backup IoT devices. I still have my original one. You know, device number one. It's like uh, Uncle Scrooge's lucky number one dime. It's my IoT device number one complete with the same same shitty extension cord that I cut in half to uh, to make it work. The fact that it was five bucks, let me take a swing at it. And I actually kind of liked what that did. And then I kind of moved up the ladder from there. Um, 
I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't bought that cheap ass uh, thing. I mean, uh, eventually, you know, there even like the name brand off the shelf stuff is pretty. You know, it's not expensive nowadays, um, but it you know it's also not five dollars for the most part. Um, so that transformative power of cheapness got me on a track that got me um, buying some of the stuff and trying things out, and then you know leading to home assistant and now and now uh i am kind of price insensitive and i don't care so much for the iot devices i care way less about the cost of the device and way more about a does it work with home assistant certainly uh, i have bought stuff in the past that doesn't work with home assistant or you know like my fucking chamberlain garage door opener that used to work with home assistant and now they shut down the api now it doesn't i used to be able to do wonderful things like i would get a notification if my garage door was still open at 9 p.m. just to remind me to go out and, and handle it. Or I could even close it with Home Assistant. I can't do that shit anymore. It's like, fuck you, Chamberlain. It, that was actually, that made your product way better is the fact that I could use it with Home Assistant. There is a weird, there is a weird janky ass project that you can use. I'm scared of this thing, but uh, some people that were formerly using Chamberlain MyQ um, stuff in the Home Assistant world, uh, it is some kind of like board <laughs> that connects to Wi-Fi, and then you know you can control it and you plug it into those wires on the back of your garage door opener. So I would need two of them because I got two garage doors, <sighs> and the thing kind of frightens me a little bit. I may, I I really miss Home Assistant control of my garage door, like. You know, not only can I, there was one of them that I, I didn't have it hooked up right, or I didn't have the, I hadn't trained it right from the thing where uh, I couldn't open and close it. But even then, it, it knew the state and knew when it was open and not open. Like, I don't have any of that anymore. I have zero access to it. Am I willing to get this weird, slightly scary DIY garage door business? <laughs> <laughs> which I will have to go look up because I don't remember the name of it, but I will say that, you know, much like, uh, you know, much like the idea of me changing the sconce in the driveway, the idea of, of plugging this thing up and then powering this thing up that's connected to my garage door, I was like, please don't start my garage on fire. Please, please don't do that. <sighs> but speaking of the transformative power of cheapness, I got to say um, that AliExpress, I find it more and more that I just want to buy super crazy cheap stuff uh, on there and just like just to see. I've heard multiple people talk about this thing. It's an R, they call it R36S. It's basically a tiny handheld thing um, that's got your you know, kind of like your Game Boy-ish type interface. It's got your standard handheld console type uh, buttons and interface and stuff like that. And I think out of the box comes with a bunch of emulators so you can play MAME games and I think you can play Nintendo, like all your stuff. It's just a emulator box. That's all it's supposed to be. Cheaper than a Steam Deck, you know, cheaper than any of It's like you can get them for, I think, under $40 shipped. I think I've been thinking about ordering one of those just because it's under $40 shipped. If I can play, and it's got two like thumb joysticks. One of the things, ever since I ever touched MAME the first time, I have been on um, a quest 
to play Robotron 2084 in a satisfying way. At the hackerspace that used to be in Myrtle Beach, they had um, a MAME console machine. So you could, I forget, they had maybe a couple thousand ROMs on there, but you could pick what you uh, played on there. And and it had two whole, it had the two-player setup. But you could also use both joysticks. So you could play Robotron and use both joysticks. I played primarily. You know, there's thousands of games on there. I played Joust, Galaga, Robotron, maybe Dig Dug. I don't know if I ever played anything else. I maybe played Crazy Climber, which is a terrible game, but they had it in uh, the town in Kansas that I lived in. One of the places, there was a bar um, that was a straight-up bar, like Dive Bar, very similar to where I sing karaoke in uh, my current town. But it had kind of a lobby-like thing that had a bunch of video games in it. And as long as you confined yourself to the video game area and didn't walk into the bar bar place, nobody would bother you. So kids could go in there, and just as long as you didn't go through the swinging glass doors to the inside, you could play all the video games you wanted. And Crazy Climber was sitting in there. And so (laughs) that's probably why I played Crazy Climber. But that was like one of the few satisfying ways uh, to play Robotron. I've tried to play it at home. Nothing ever works. Like, you've got to have two joysticks. I do not know if two thumb joysticks will be satisfying. It may not do it. I think I might be willing to put $40 to put forty on uh, the roulette wheel and spin the ball and see if it works. If not, you know, I can emulate other games. Do I need this? I absolutely do not need this. For God's sake. Well, actually... Uh, you know, the PS5 that Grandpa bought me with the weird wads of money, um, because of the old dog situation, uh, I haven't been upstairs to play it much. I've actually been trying to carve out times to for sure come up and play it just so it wasn't a boondoggle purchase. At the very least, the kid played all of Spider-Man 2, uh, I think more than once. I think the kid played it and then replayed it on different settings and you know, was doing it all over again. And maybe... I believe maybe there's two successful ones and we're on a third. I don't know. So the kid's getting some use out of it on Spider-Man uh, 2. So at the very least, it's not um, it's not a boondoggle. Um, I have not gotten nearly enough use out of it. Uh, as a retired guy, I don't do as much retired guy shit as one thinks would be part of the whole deal. But anyway, um, related, kind of related level of thinking is, so now I don't, care about the cost of the IoT things nearly as much. Now, certainly when I was looking at the light bulbs, the I could have bought 10 of the Philips Hue light bulbs. Did I even, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, the whole thing about the singlet uh, light bulbs not being repeaters. Well, Philips Hue bulbs are repeaters. The deal is that the singlet bulbs were $5 a piece and they look nice. And the Philips Hue ones don't look that nice and they're $27 a piece. So what I did was I split the difference. And now I have eight Singleds out there. And in the two least visible spots, I have Philips Hughes. So I got two Philips bulbs that are repeating uh, out to the mailbox and, you know, out into the yard. And then the other eight bulbs are the ones that don't repeat. So, you know, I'm not completely price insensitive. Like, I did not want to spend $270 on light bulbs for my garage sconce. <laughs> that just was not... Uh, not something I was willing to do. But also, I don't need it to be a $5 uh, smart switch anymore. Like, it has to work with Home Assistant. And also, I don't want to spread them. I probably bought eight or nine smart devices 
before I bought the same brand a second time. So every single time I'm installing some weird app on my phone to work with this and a weird setup, it's just like weird shit. Which is kind of what I like about buying Zigbee stuff is there is no app at all, right? It's just Zigbee stuff. So uh, it doesn't matter what the uh, manufacturer is. It's a Zigbee device that will just work with my Zigbee things. I kind of like that. I don't I don't want to have, you know, the Wise specific thing. You know, like the ones who want to sell you a plan. Wise loves to do this. I actually like the Wise camera just on a whim. Um, when I did not need it for dog purposes anymore, I just set it up at our front door. And so instead of having a smart doorbell, I just got a wise camera up there. I know when a delivery person comes up, it doesn't integrate with the doorbell, but who cares? All I know is when there's motion in the driveway and I get a picture of, oh, I see the UPS <laughs> truck out there. I know what's going on. The end. Boy, does wise want to upsell me. I get a lot of communication from wise and uh, a lot of stuff doesn't work right unless I pay wise more money. I can't get the actual um, video of what triggered my motion detector unless I pay whatever, five bucks a month. It's like, oh, wise. So, uh, you know, going forward, I need to do more due diligence so that when I buy things to integrate them into everything else, I'm not buying things like that. I just want a camera that does the full thing that I don't need a plan for. I just want like, for a camera, I just want an RTSP feed that I can just use. Motion is nice, you know, if I can, you know, if I can get that into Home Assistant with a camera feed and also like a motion, you know, just treating it like a motion detector, you know, like cleared and, you know, detected and cleared, like the way a lot of my other motion sensors work, that would be all I want. So ideally, if I could get that in a $40, or $50 camera, beautiful. <laughs> you know, that's fine. <sighs> so what I don't want is to spread it across ecosystems. Uh, and I don't want uh, I don't want them to be locked down. They got to work with Home Assistant. I'm not buying any more shit that doesn't work with Home Assistant. The end. You know, and thinking about this, I thinking about how do you determine what to buy. I'm in a position. It feels like it should be easier, but uh, it's getting harder. Seems like is for example, um, when I had the dude in here installing my car charger, um, I asked the electrician. One of the questions was, we have a bunch of bulbs that kind of flicker when the washing machine specifically is agitating. So, you know, as the agitator goes, in time with that, there's a bunch of bulbs that flicker. And we were talking about what can you do? Is there something you can do to the circuits to make that not happen? And he said, really, no. He said, he said counterintuitively, um, he said, more than likely, what this is, is a function of your LED bulbs that are through the house. And that, you know, LED bulbs... Um, they last a long time and we're fairly short in the life cycle of them, you know, as a product. So every house that's got LED bulbs has this bizarre panoply of different LED bulbs from different manufacturers and different stuff. And he said, the main thing about that is it seems counterintuitive, but your dimmable light bulbs will not flicker the way non-dimmables will because they, they're, forgive me electrical engineers for butchering this explanation, but they're less sensitive to like the current that's coming in. The very thing that makes them dimmable, you know, the non-dimmable ones are going to freak out if they don't get exactly the current they expect. But the dimmable ones are a little more resilient to that. Maybe, I don't know, capacitors? <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> something, something in there makes them not uh, freak out so much. So he's like, just, you know, if you can, they're more, they cost more, but just buy dimmable bulbs for literally everything. And, and you might see that problem go away. The problem being that if, you know, if you got, you know, an eight year life 
uh, if your average LED bulb lasts eight years, <laughs> you either are going to replace some working bulbs or you're going to, it's going to be a long time with this issue. But then you come down to, okay, so I want to get, I need some bulbs. I want some dimmable bulbs. What do I buy? Like I could go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or wherever, or Amazon or Singled or somewhere, AliExpress. I can buy some uh, light bulbs. What do I buy? And it seems like that question is harder today than it ever has been. Like, what would be the thing to buy if I want some good, solid, not crazy expensive, high quality, uh, dimmable LED bulbs of a variety of wattages? And again, I always forget this. I, I sat down and did the math on the conversion factor because, you know, a 40 watt incandescent light bulb, I, for my entire life, that was a 40 watt bulb. And now you go and you see it's a six watt LED bulb. I'm like, oh Christ, I don't remember what the equivalent is. I got to like, look at the lumens. I got to remember what the lumens are. I think it's like an incandescent is something like 10 or 12 lumens per watt. So like 500 lumens is 40 watts. I think something like that. So you want to look for the lumens, not the wattage. But I did a thing. I may have cut off my nose to um, spite my face, but on my um, personal laptop, I did a thing where I black hold in the DNS, uh, the New York Times and all New York Times sites, because they're such dicks about trans coverage. And really, they're dicks about all coverage. I don't understand why anyone respects the New York Times um, for anything they have done since the Pentagon Papers. Sure, they did some stand-up shit in the 70s. Like, in the last 30 years, have they done anything other than just horror after horror? You know, the whole, uh, you know... Um, Trump is st struggling. How is this bad for Biden? You know, that kind of shit. You know, it's just, just ridiculous stuff. The New York Times is awful. And so uh, just in protest, I'm like, why do I give these fucks my micro cent? Why do I give them an M, you know, my one thousandth of an M by loading their stupid goddamn page? So I just DNS'd it. So I can't even accidentally go to the New York Times, which, by the way, the wire cutter is now New York Times site, which sort of... Um, you know, like, yes, there's an ad blocker or <laughs> way around this. But it's like, oh, God. So uh, this is something. If you've got a good, uh, like, non-horrific um, alternate site for just, <sighs> these should be answerable questions. Like, <laughs> I want to buy a light bulb. Why is this a thing? <laughs> why, is this, why is this difficult to go just get a nice, dimmable light bulb? That's, those are... Not specifically that question, that class of questions, those kinds of questions. Where can I go? That's not the wire cutter. That will. That's not generated via some sort of LLM AI uh, horror show. What can I do? Where can I go? Why is that harder today than than it was twenty years ago? I don't know. That is the nature of our life. All right, my friends. I've been talking to you for quite some time. I will say when I sat down this morning. I sat down to watch cartoonist Kayfabe and Adam Savage, and I opened up my, I said, I'm going to record later. Let me open up my Obsidian note. I know I have been thinking about this show since the last show. What did I write down? I wrote down nothing. Not one thing. <laughs> it's like, shit, I have, I know I have walked through like topics that would be good, and I thought even, it's like great when you think of three topics and they all kind of interrelate, and they kind of, 
you can see the segue from one to the other. And I know I've thought about those. I was thinking about this shit in the shower yesterday. And it's like, oh, I didn't write down any of that. Not one tiny bit of that was written down. It's like, you dumbass. This is where the song flow then comes in. But anyway, uh, I managed to make a show uh, out of it anyway. Uh, very much like my dad used to make a dish he called goulash, which is an insult to uh, Hungary and its fine people. This is what this dish was. This is, by the way, you're going to hear, speaking of horrors, you're going to hear the horrors of Midwestern uh, culinary <laughs> uh, arts. This is how my dad made what he called goulash. Take hamburger, brown it, open a can of Chef Boyardee uh, SpaghettiOs or Chef Boyardee Spaghetti. Dump it in. Mix it up. Heat it through. Serve. That's what my dad called goulash. My parents, I'm not 100% sure growing up when I did. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if I had pasta where you bought the pasta, cooked the pasta, had the sauce, made it from yourself, or you bought a jar of ragu or something, and you dumped the pasta on you know, dumped the sauce on the pasta and then served it. I'm not sure I ever had that before I left home. I believe I had canned spaghetti every time I ever had spaghetti from birth to age 18. That's I'm I think the first time I had pasta like pasta made the way one makes pasta I think a group of us together um in my fraternity there was a group of like 5 of us that would just get together and uh we'd alternate and it would be one person's um, turn to cook meals and someone just made pasta. I'm like, Oh, you can do that. <laughs> that is like how, uh, what an, like a, what an odd view of cooking I had from, you know, if it wasn't a casserole or come in a can, um, then what are you doing? And also the cas- casseroles mostly come in cans, right? Here's a noodle and we're going to pour a, a can of Campbell's, uh, mushroom soup over it. And then that's the casserole. And then maybe some panko, or I don't know if it would even be panko. I don't know what it would be. Some awful something. Also out of a can. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Let me get out of here. But before I get out of here, there's something I have to do and thank some people. It is time once again for a thing we call the reading of the patrons. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoko, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, Matt Beckwith, and patron in exile, Nutty Nukchas, thank you one and all for supporting the shambling mess. And with that, let us kill the music. Isn't that nice? You could be on that list too. It's wonderful. Or you don't have to be. Just listen. Or don't even have to listen. Hey, 
live your life how you want to live it. I'm not judging. I'm I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> it's hard enough, as I said, to get my pants on every day. If I if we can all get that achieved, then uh, you know, medals for everybody. Thank you for listening. The show notes will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org. You can reach me, Dave, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Put an at in front of that and you subscribe to me from any Fediverse client that exists. Uh, Mastodon, Pixelmo, Funk Whale, I don't care, any of them. Thank you for listening. I appreciate everything everyone does. I appreciate people that give me feedback. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Hang on out there and know that whatever else happens, that I love you. Goodbye. Bandwitch. And there will always be a kind of store that just fills into. There will always be a kind of score. Uh, calc key or whatever it is called now. I don't know. Firefish. Fish fire. Fish fry. Firefly. Uh, all of them. Calc, calc fish. Fish, fish fry. Calc. I don't know. That was very George Robian. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to cut all that out. (laughs) This will be in the end. Fuck fuck that. That was terrible. I I disavow everything I just did. (sighs) Every step of fucking adventure.